Thanks for joining us today, those of you in Mesa and in Ahwatukee, and also to our church family online. I saw some of you online were commenting. You're watching from in Indiana, Minnesota, Washington, Canada, California. Someone even was watching from Apache Junction, Arizona today. That's way out there. Before I get started in this message, uh, let me just tell you what's coming up next week. Next week, we're starting a new series of teaching called Best Sermon Ever. And it's not that I'm going to be preaching the best sermon ever. That's not going to happen. But I'm going to be preaching about the best sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapter 5, starting with the Beatitudes where Jesus says stuff like, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the peacemakers. So it's never been more relevant and timely for us. It's going to be very practical for you and very encouraging to you. So make sure you come back next week. Today, we are concluding our series on the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, I think, is one of the most misunderstood aspects of who God is. He's part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but he gets a bad rap with some people. Maybe you've encountered weird people who blame their weirdness on the Holy Spirit. And it's like, the Holy Spirit's not weird, bro. You're weird. Isn't that true sometimes? But I think Jesus really helps us to understand the Holy Spirit, and it helps us to compare Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So think about this. Jesus was sent by the Father to help us. Then the Holy Spirit was sent by Jesus to help us. Jesus was misunderstood, just like the Holy Spirit's misunderstood. Jesus was not welcomed by some people. Herod tried to kill him when he was born. And then today... The Holy Spirit is not welcomed in some churches. Jesus did miracles and the Holy Spirit does miracles. Jesus told us to avoid sin and the Holy Spirit helps us to avoid sin. Jesus taught us how to pray. The Holy Spirit helps us pray. Jesus said some things that seemed really weird in his day. And the Holy Spirit does some things that seem weird in our day, but they're still of God. Some people did not want Jesus to upset their established religious system, just like some Christians don't want the Holy Spirit to upset their established religious system. But this is important. Jesus drew near to those who wanted him, and the Holy Spirit draws near to those of us who want him. So last week I talked about how all Christians receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So we're tracking on that. All Christians who believe in Jesus have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them. But then Jesus told his disciples to wait for the baptism with the Holy Spirit when they would receive power to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So before I start today's message, last week we talked about the baptism with the Holy Spirit that Jesus told his disciples to wait for. And at the end of the message, a lot of you guys stood up and you prayed with me and you just said, Jesus, I ask you to baptize me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with your power. Fill me with your love. Right? And we prayed that together. And there can sometimes be this voice of doubt that creeps into your mind, your heart, whenever you take steps in your relationship with God. Like, have you ever, as a, as a Christian who believes in Jesus, have you ever, like, heard a voice of doubt whispering in your ear saying, God doesn't really accept you. God couldn't really love you. Because of what you did, you can never be a Christian. You're a hypocrite. Who do you think that is speaking that way to you? 
It's the devil, the enemy, the accuser of God's people, whispering doubt. And in the same way, when you take a step in your relationship with the Holy Spirit, who do you think is going to show up? That wasn't really God. That was just your imagination. You didn't really feel that. That was just something you wanted to feel. It's this voice of doubt can creep in. And, and so the bottom line is this. Did you ask did you ask Jesus to come into your life? Did you ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit? Because we're gonna talk about this. God says that when we ask, we will receive. When we ask for more relationship with God through Jesus, we're gonna receive. When we ask for more of the Holy Spirit, we're gonna receive that. And I wanna encourage you in this too. Don't compare your relationship with the Holy Spirit to someone else's. Because, man, some people, they get really emotional and they're really overwhelmed. Other people, maybe it's not that emotional. Just kind of like when you got saved. Some people, they get saved and they fall to their knees and they cry out to God and there's tears and they change radically overnight. And that's their salvation experience. Others of you, you were just like sitting in church one day because your wife dragged you here and you're just like, huh, I think I believe this. <laughs> and it was more of a process. It's kind of like when we baptize people in water. You know, we have water baptism pretty much every month at our church. Some people, they're like, let me in that water. Get me, get me in that water. And other people, they're nervous, like tiptoeing in. Like, don't let me slip. Don't let me slip. Oh, it's cold. It's cold. But, but it doesn't matter if you tiptoe in or dive in. At the end of the day, you're going to be soaked. Okay? So I want to conclude our series today talking about a controversial topic a controversial topic. And some people maybe uh, have asked me over the years, is this church non-denominational? And I always say, it depends. What do you mean by that? Because people always mean different things. Do you mean that anybody can come to church here, that we're not gonna argue over secondary issues, that we are governed locally? Yes, then we're non-denominational. But some people, when they say non-denominational, what they actually mean is non-controversial. Like, like, just don't make me uncomfortable. Is this a non-uncomfortable church? <laughs> the thing is, man, sometimes it's the controversial topics that can be very developmental in your walk with God. So I'm bringing you today a special installment of our Let's Talk About It series on speaking in tongues. I know right now someone's like, oh, no. Oh no, this church looks so promising on the website. Oh no. I know, I know someone's like, oh no, I invited a friend today. Ah! We all know you don't invite friends when the pastor's talking about tithing or speaking in tongues. You just don't do it. Mm -mm. No, you don't do it. Come back next week for best sermon ever. We're going to talk about speaking in tongues because this is something I get asked about whenever the Holy Spirit comes up. And tongues just means languages in languages. People are always like, what about speaking in tongues? Like they, they whisper it like they just peed their pants. You know, like, hey, come here. Like, what, what about speaking in tongues? Not, not, not for me. I'm asking for a friend. I just want to know. Like, and people have heard things about that. You know, is that something to do with the baptism with the Holy Spirit, or is that, is that something crazy people do? One, one of my old churches told me that's not for us today. Like, I, I, people hear different things, and so they want to know. I want to know. Like every other issue that we discussed, it doesn't matter what I think, doesn't matter what we've experienced. Ultimately, it's about what does the Bible say? 
So that's what we're going to do today. And if, if you're new to our church, I can promise you, I'm not going to make this sermon weird. It's not going to be weird. It's not going to be emotional. It's going to be educational and biblical. Is that okay? So here we go. Acts chapter two, verse four, it says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. This was the day of Pentecost. And would you believe that today is Pentecost Sunday? Coincidence? I think not. So they spoke in tongues on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was first poured out. But you have to ask, okay, but is that normal? Or was it just a one-time thing? Well, I've gone through the book of Acts, and you can do it too. I encourage you to do this. I've read every single verse, verse, for, verse by verse, and looked for all the occurrences where it talks about something like this happening. And the language they use is baptized with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. It says sometimes the Spirit was poured out upon them or fell upon them, all referencing this same kind of experience. Not the, not the way that every Christian receives the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but this filling of the Holy Spirit. And so I was looking at it and going, how many times does it say they spoke in tongues versus not say anything about tongues? Because I like to, you know, look at the evidence in Scripture. So here's what you, you find. In Acts chapter 4, the same Christians, it says, are filled with the Spirit, but it does not mention them speaking in tongues. A second time, Acts chapter 8 says the Samaritans were baptized with the Holy Spirit, and it does not mention them speaking in tongues. In Acts chapter 9, Saul gets saved and becomes Paul and is filled with the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't say in that chapter he spoke in tongues, but he tells us in other books of the Bible that he does. And so that counts as a yes. Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles and they did speak in other tongues. And that's really important. And I just want to touch on this really quickly, that Jesus's own disciples were prejudiced. Do you realize that? Like they were prejudiced. When Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman, they were like, what are you doing talking to those people? All right, can I talk, can I talk about this? Can I talk about this? All right, and so when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles, the Jews were largely prejudiced against the non-Jews. That's what Gentiles are, non-Jews. And so I think one of the reasons that it says they spoke in tongues was so all the other Jews would know they got the same Holy Spirit you got. That is good. Acts chapter 11 recaps what happened in Acts chapter 10. So it's the same situation. We won't count that separately. Acts 13, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. No tongues mentioned. Acts chapter 19, the Holy Spirit came on the Ephesians and they did speak in tongues. Okay, so there are seven separate occurrences. Four times, yes, they spoke in tongues. We know three times we don't know for sure whether they did or if they didn't. So it seems that when people are filled with the Holy Spirit in Scripture, more often than not, it specifically mentions that they speak in tongues. And it's, just some, it's, it's a way of showing this, this occurrence goes back to what happened on the day of Pentecost. It's the same Holy Spirit, the same way you were filled up on the day of Pentecost. They're getting filled up even 25 years later in Acts chapter 19. And we know that the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1.13, is the seal of authenticity showing that you're saved. And I think speaking in tongues is sometimes like a, a stamp saying you really were filled 
with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that you're a better Christian or that God loves you more. It's just a cool benefit of being filled with the Holy Spirit that I'm gonna talk about a little bit more here. So here's a game that I like to play as a pastor. If I just read the Bible without any denominational background or bias or pastor telling me what to think, what would I see and conclude? It's called the thinking for yourself game. And I encourage you all to play that. What you see is that when people receive the Holy Spirit multiple times, more often than not, Scripture tells us they spoke in tongues. Sometimes it was a public message in tongues given to the church, and it had to be interpreted. Other times it was privately used in prayer to God. And then you would see this. Nowhere does it say you cannot do that. It never says you can't do that or that it ceased. Okay, that, that's important. There are some critics who try to say there's this one verse where, where it says, you know, when the perfect comes, knowledge and prophecy and tongues will cease. But that's not about the Bible getting delivered to us. That's about Jesus returning a second time and then we won't need knowledge or prophecy or tongues anymore. So, so that has not happened yet and we still need these things today. The Holy Spirit did not cease to operate. He still moves, he still speaks, he still heals, he still gives gifts and his power is for us today. So I talked previously about the manifestational gifts of the Holy Spirit and one of them was the gift of tongues for the church body and it needs to be interpreted and that's not something everyone will do but that we should be careful about when that's used when unsaved people are around um, but then for those who have been baptized with the holy spirit there's also a personal private prayer language using tongues that anyone who's been baptized with the holy spirit can take advantage of regularly so i'm going to talk about that don't take my word for it here we go number one it's scriptural it's scriptural 1 Corinthians 14, you can follow along with me there if you want to turn there in your Bible. 1 Corinthians 14 was written to the church in Corinth. And some people will use this chapter to try to say that the Apostle Paul was negative about speaking in tongues. But that's funny because the Corinthians were actually too excited about speaking in tongues. And so the Apostle Paul had to write this letter to them. And one of the things he talks about in 1 Corinthians 14 is like, you Corinthians, you need to tone it down a little bit. Like you need to just like get it together. I know you're excited, but pull it together, bro. And he knew, God knew that some people would take that too far. And that's why at the end of that chapter, I'm going to start with the end, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 39, it says, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Some people wish that wasn't in the Bible. They'll be like, that's weird. I wish we could just like cancel that. No, and eh, get that out of here. But God says in his word, do not forbid speaking in tongues. That's in the Bible, you guys. That's crazy, right? So 1 Corinthians 14, the apostle Paul talks about the gift of tongues for the church body and how that's a, a gift that is supposed to benefit the church. And he cautions us that in a gathering where unbelievers are present or people who are uninformed, you really shouldn't use that gift because it will be scary to them. They'll think you're crazy and it'll be a stumbling block to them. So, so for example, in a gathering like this, we have people in this gathering who aren't even saved right now in Mesa and in Ahwatukee, right? They, like, they, they don't know any of this. And so if this were to just happen, they'd be like, what is happening? 
These are crazy people. And so that's why he said, you need to be careful where you use this and you need to do it in a place where you know you're with Christians who are informed about these things and they can handle it. Honestly, that's what he's saying. But then he's telling us that there is a private personal prayer language where you can speak in tongues and it can be a good thing. And what he does in this chapter, okay, I know this teaching is gonna be a little bit more complex for some people. It's a little deeper, but I'm gonna show you the word of God, what it says. We can all track with that together, okay? You're gonna get the, bo the bottom line here. The apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, what he does is he uses public tongues and private tongues comparing and contrasting them to teach us about speaking in tongues. And I'm going to show you that. Not everybody sees that. So go to verse 2, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2. It says this, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Okay? Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. So he starts out talking about private praying in tongues. That's how, here's how we know that. Because he's talking about praying to God. And 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about the manifestational gifts of like speaking in tongues, a message in tongues to the church body. That's from God to people. Here he's talking about speaking in a tongue to God. And it, it, look at this. It says, you don't understand it. It's uttering mysteries by the Spirit. And so that's, that's important. Maybe uh, you've heard someone speaking in tongues. Uh, maybe you have, and you're like, Honestly, kind of sounds like, like nothing. It sounds like gibberish. I've heard, I've heard people speaking in tongues. It doesn't sound like Espanol. It doesn't sound like, you know, French. It doesn't sound like whatever they speak in Apache Junction. It just sounds like gibberish. But we should take note of this. It tells us right in the word of God that you're uttering mysteries. Mysteries. Nobody, nobody understands it. So I'll be honest, okay? There was a point in my life when it came to preach, like speaking in tongues, where I was like, yeah, but, but it sounds like kind of gibberish. What if it's just made up? Like, how do I know it's not just made up? And I have my own doubts. Is it okay if a pastor admits that he's had doubts? Is that okay? Hopefully that helps you like feel better about yourself. <laughs> but, but I had doubts. Like, what if it's gibberish? And, and, but then I had to go back to what the actual Bible says, because you don't want to just rest in your doubts. You want to go back to the word of God. And it says right here, man, you're uttering mysteries by the spirit. That's biblical. But then think about it logically. Okay, logically. How many languages do you think you could recognize and correctly identify? For me, maybe five or six. Maybe some of you who are really educated could get like 10. Do you realize there are over 7,000 languages spoken on earth today? And we know of 573 languages that are extinct and not spoken by any living person any longer. As well as scientists estimate that at least 20,000 other languages have probably gone extinct. And then think about this. In 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul says, If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm nothing but a clanging gong. Let me ask you this. What language do angels speak? I don't know either. I don't know. Okay, I don't know what language angels speak. So let me just say this. Is it possible that if a person's praying in tongues and, and yeah, you don't understand what they're saying, maybe God, the creator of the universe, might be able to understand what they're saying? What if, what if you're praying in a language that angels understand that doesn't exist on earth any longer or that you're not familiar with? Like, so it is very biblically and logically possible to pray in tongues and have it be understood by God and be totally legit. 
People will ask, yeah, but how do I know it's not like all made up? How do I know it's not made up? Again, I go back to this. How do you know you're saved? How do you know you're saved? You didn't get a, like a dove didn't fly down to your house and deliver your membership to heaven card. Congratulations, you're saved. Like there is an element of faith that's involved. And I would say that there is an element of faith involved in praying in tongues, like there is an element of faith involved in any good thing that comes from God. When you pray for God to heal you, you had faith that God could heal you. When you tithe, you have faith that God is going to provide for you and bless you. Faith is involved in every good thing that comes from God. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12. Now it's talking about the public use of tongues in church. So you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit. Try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue or a language they don't understand should pray that they may interpret what they say. And what he's trying to teach us here is that in church, like we're in church right now, you need to understand you need to understand what's happening and what's being talked about. That's what builds you up is understanding in church. That's why when we talked about the gifts of the Spirit, the interpretation of tongues is also a gift of the Spirit. If there's a message in tongues, there needs to be an interpretation. Otherwise, people won't understand. And how does that really benefit them? Okay, verse 14 goes back to talking about privately praying in tongues. He says, for if I pray in tongues... Right? This is personal now. If I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I am saying. Another translation says, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. I like this translation because it's more clear. But I don't understand what I am saying. Well then, what shall I do? I will pray in the spirit and I will pray also in words I understand. I will sing in the spirit and I will also sing in words I understand. Okay, so man, what are we talking about here? We're talking about when I pray in English, dear God, I need your help. I'm really struggling. My mind understands. When I pray in tongues, my mind does not understand, but my spirit is praying directly to God. He's saying both are good. You shouldn't just pray in tongues. and like, I don't know what I'm praying. I never really know. I'm just praying in tongues all day. And he's like, I'm going to pray in, in, in the spirit and I'm going to pray with my mind. I'm going to sing in the spirit and I'm going to sing in English because both are good for me. That's really clear when you just read it carefully what he's talking about. Okay, so then he goes back to talking about public worship. Verse 16, for if you praise God only in the spirit, you only sing in tongues. How can those who don't understand you praise God along with you? How can they join you in giving thanks when they don't understand what you're saying? You'll be giving thanks very well, but it won't strengthen the people who hear you. So like if a new guy comes into church and he's like barely a Christian, let's say, and he comes up to me like, Pastor Ryan, you know, I'm really struggling. Can you pray for me? And I'm like, oh yeah, here it comes. And I just start praying in tongues for him. He's not going to be blessed by that. He's going to run from me faster than a cat with his tail on fire. Okay, I'm out. That's what he's going to say, right? So this is talking about, man, when I'm in church, when I'm with other Christians, I should pray and I should praise in a way that you can do with me and understand and say, amen. 
That's good. I think this is good. So people will read this chapter sometimes and say that the Apostle Paul is negative on speaking in tongues. And that's not true. He's for understanding in church and he's for praying in tongues in private. I can prove that to you again. Go to verse 18 now. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Talk about drop the mic, walk off the stage. I pray in tongues more than all of you, he said. I mean, braggadocious much. He says, I pray in tongues more than all of you and it's awesome and I thank God for it. Like he is not negative on speaking in tongues or praying in tongues privately. He's like, that's a great thing. But then look at this. But in a church meeting, that's private. But in a public church meeting, I would rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. It's, it's not that confusing. It's like, it's like, you know, if I pray in tongues privately, that's one thing. But if I get up on stage during this time and I'm just like walking around the stage praying in tongues, you're all looking at me just like, I don't know what you're talking about, bro. So that's why he's saying it's better to speak words that people can understand in the church gathering because that's going to build the church up. Okay. So when we take out our bias and our fears and our, you know, stereotypes, it's actually pretty clear in the word of God. Publicly, you need to be careful and think about unbelievers who are there and use restraint. Privately, praying in tongues is awesome if you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, so go for it. He just said, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. It's a good thing. Okay, so that's what, that's what we see when we look at the scriptures. Here's the second thing. I'm gonna talk about this. It's a benefit. It's a benefit. The Holy Spirit is your friend with supernatural benefits. This is not the primary benefit of being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Tongues was not the point of being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Power to be a witness for Jesus. That's the point. But tongues is, praying in tongues and having that is a benefit. And here's what it does. Why should I want to do that, Ryan? Why should I want to pray in tongues? What's the point? It builds you up. A translation, I'm going to show you. It says, it strengthens you. It's another way of saying it. Verse 3. But the one who prophesies strengthens others. And prophecy, one of the things you, know, you can think of that as is, is preaching, proclaiming word from God to people. That's what preaching is. The one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. Another translation says, a person who speaks in tongues builds himself up. Okay, so this strengthens you personally to pray in tongues. Being strengthened personally does not sound like a bad thing, does it? Who doesn't want more strength that comes from God? It's not like being strengthened personally makes you selfish. Like we want to we build up the church when we have church, encourage you, comfort you. But then in private, being strengthened personally is good. Like, so uh, yesterday I went back to LA Fitness for the first time in like 100 months. And me and my brother played racquetball and then we lifted weights. And I'll tell you what, when, when I was lifting weights, um, it was strengthening me personally, but not you. It was not strengthening you, but it was strengthening me personally. Does that mean I shouldn't do it just because it only strengthens me personally? 
No, it's good for me. Of course I should do it personally. It's good. Just like reading the Bible at home strengthens you personally. It's a good thing. And praying in tongues privately strengthens you personally. It's a good thing. It's a benefit. Jude 1.20 says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. It's the same theme repeated again in another book of the Bible that when you pray in the Holy Spirit, it builds you up. I mean, I know sometimes I'm tired, I'm feeling overwhelmed, I don't know what to pray, and praying in the Spirit, it, it builds you up. Why should I want to do this? Because it builds you up. So it's not a trick question. It's not, it's not complicated. It strengthens you. Here's another benefit. It helps you stand firm against your enemy. You have an enemy. The Bible talks about him, calls him like Satan, the devil. Uh, there are spiritual forces working against you. The Bible says, um, sometimes called demons, and they want to see God's people destroyed. They want to prevent you growing closer to God. We don't want to obsess over that, but it is a real thing that the Bible talks about in the spiritual world. And the enemy attacks you as a child of God. That's just what's going to happen. It's going to happen is what the Bible says. And so Ephesians talks about putting on the full armor of God, okay? Here's what it says. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Pray in the spirit. Remember Paul talked about, I pray in with my spirit, I pray with my mind. Pray in the spirit, I pray with my mind. Pray in the spirit on all kinds of occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. All kinds of prayers. Prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of requests. Prayers in a language you understand, prayers in a language you don't understand. It helps you stand guard against the attacks of the enemy. You don't know what's happening in the spiritual realm around you. Have you ever wondered, like, man, I wonder if, like, the enemy could be attacking me right now. Like, I don't know, because I can't see what's happening in the spiritual realm. But my spirit can communicate with the Holy Spirit who knows exactly what's going on in my world around me. Does that make sense to some of you? Okay, and then here's the third benefit. It allows you to pray the perfect will of God. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So this is talking about how sometimes I just don't know what to pray. Like, I know I should pray, I'm a Christian, I'm a pastor, but I just don't know what to pray. And sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get some good prayer time in, you know. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really do it, roll my sleeves up, pray for everything I can think of, my family, my church, missionaries in Africa, heal our nation. I go through the whole list, and then Jesus' name, amen. How long was that? Like, five minutes? I only got to five minutes. I prayed for everything I could think of. Sometimes like we don't even know what to pray. But when you pray in the spirit, you get to temporarily bypass your mind and pray directly in line with the will of God. Because sometimes my will gets in the way of my prayers. Have you ever prayed for something that you're glad God did not give you? Like, how many of you are like, oh, thank God that I did not marry that man? I was tired of being single, but that guy was a dumpster fire, right? 
Or some of you guys, you prayed to marry some lady and you're like, mm, no, 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 no. I was attracted to her for the wrong reasons. Thank God he said no to that prayer request. Or like, have you ever been mad at someone and then you started praying about them? Like, Get them, God. Get him. <laughs> kill him. I know you've prayed for God to kill some people before. I have. All right. I'm just being honest, all right? Like, get him, God. Now, that's probably not a good thing. Sometimes my selfishness and my ambition or my frustration gets in the way of my prayers, and it can be a benefit to pray in the spirit and bypass my flesh. It's a good thing. Some people would listen to this message and they'd say, but yeah, but all that was the Apostle Paul. I can't do that. I'm not the Apostle Paul. And I would say, why not? When we don't read Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength and say, yeah, but that was the Apostle Paul. Christ isn't going to give me strength. Like, no, no. He never says you can't do this. He never says you can't do this. So in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 5, you see this. The Apostle Paul says, Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. I want to point this out. This word in Greek is thelo, and it means I want or I desire or I wish you would. I wish you all would speak in tongues because it's a good thing. But even more, I want you to prophesy. This word thelo appears in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 as well. And the Apostle Paul says, I wish you all, Othello, I wish you all would be single like I am. Because then you could get more done for God. You wouldn't have to worry about your spouse. That's what he said. But you're not all going to because some of you need to get married. He also says, I want you, same word, to be free from anxiety. Same word. I want you to be free from anxiety. You're, some of you are going to worry still, but it'd be better if you didn't. So what he's saying right here is like, man, you might not all speak in tongues. You can still be saved. God still loves you. And you can still do great things for God, but it might be better if you did. Here's the third thing. It's a choice. It's a choice. People have this misconception that if they open themselves up to the Holy Spirit, that they're going to lose control and become a crazy person and flop around on the ground like a fish. <laughs> like you're going to open your heart up to the Holy Spirit. You're going to walk through... Albertsons tomorrow and just lose control and grab the loudspeaker and start speaking in tongues over the loudspeaker. Attention shoppers! <laughs> what, what, what happened? That's not how it works, is it? Whenever God does good things in our lives, he wants us to cooperate and participate in the process willingly. Like some of you are very generous and you have the gift of giving, but checks don't just jump out of your pocket into the offering box. Sometimes I pray that that would happen, but it doesn't. <laughs> you have to participate in the process. You have to choose to use this gift. It's a choice, and the Holy Spirit isn't going to force you to do something you don't want to do. He's not going to make you lose control. You can control this. That's why the Apostle Paul used language that talked about choosing. In verse 14 and 15, he said, if I pray, I will pray. I'm choosing how to pray. There was a season in my life that I was very resistant to a lot of this and I had doubts and, and skeptical thoughts, but then I started to open myself up to it more. And, and so I had this prayer. I talked to God and I said, God, okay, I'll give you a shot. Not a good way to start a prayer, by the way. 
I'm going to give you a shot here, God. I don't want it to be made up. I don't want it to be fake. But I'll open myself up to you. I'll give you a shot. If you, if you do it, like if you make me do it, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. But if you do it, if you start, I'll give you a shot. And that was my, that was my uh, olive branch that I extended to the Holy Spirit. And I felt like after some time he said to me, I'm not going to do this to you. But I will do it with you. I had to participate in the process and have faith. I had to have faith. I had to choose to participate. And I want to encourage you today in this, because we're teaching on this issue. It is a delicate subject, and people have abused this subject or used it improperly. And I want to just challenge you and encourage you in this. Don't try to force other people into this. Maybe you've had a great experience with this, and you pray in tongues, and you're just excited, and you want other people to experience it too. Be very careful about how you present this issue to other people, because if you don't present it biblically, you might freak them out. And that's a bad thing. You don't want to do that. You don't want to be pushy. This doesn't mean that you're, you're holier than other people or you're better. Some people, they start speaking in tongues, but they never learn how to speak with tact and grace. Don't be pushy. Don't try to get other people to do this. And if you're open to this and you start to explore this, you don't have to force it. It's not something you have to force. Just be open and flow with it. And I think the way that this oftentimes works is when you start to pray to God and worship God and you've asked him to fill you with the Holy Spirit, you'll start to sense in your spirit words or syllables. And then you just let that flow. When you're alone with God, just let that flow. Just speak that out. And oftentimes what I've seen is that when this first happens, it can be a little bit surprising. Sometimes people like have had this experience for the first time and they're like, whoa, what was that? And it is, it's a little bit unusual. It's a little bit unnatural. It's supernatural. And I know sometimes the supernatural can be scary to us. And I I get it. I'm like a logical person. I'm a type A person. I want to be able to quantify everything and categorize everything theologically in nice tidy books and and categories on my theological shelf. And I want a rule book and I want an engineer's guide manual. I, I get it. I get it. I want to understand it. But sometimes I need God's supernatural power more than I need to understand even. I don't know about you, but I need God's super to invade my natural. I need his help to do what he's called me to do. And and I know that when you start to do this, it might uh, feel awkward to some people at the beginning. It might feel unnatural at first. That doesn't mean it's not from God. It just means it's new. Like when a little child's learning to speak, they're not that great at it. Their grammar's not great. They can barely talk but they grow. Like the Apostle Paul, it says in Acts 9, 22, when he got saved, his preaching became more and more powerful. I mean, God anointed him to preach, but he got better at it with time. I remember when I started preaching, God, God led me to become the lead pastor of this church. I started preaching, but I was not that good at it. Most of you weren't here then. Lucky you. Over time, got a little better. You're going to get more comfortable and you're going to grow in this as you exercise 
the gifts of the Spirit. Just like giving. At first, you're giving you know, financially, and you're like, yeah, I don't know if I want to do this. And after a while, you're like, I love to do this. It's the same with all the gifts that come from God. Let me close with this. Some people have been taught that speaking in tongues is of the devil or that it's demonic or evil or fake. I wanna show you in scripture that Jesus Christ specifically refutes that idea. Some of you have never seen this before. Get ready to have your mind blown. Acts chapter 10, or rather Luke chapter 10. Here we go. This is Jesus talking. He says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. I want you to see this. Do you see how snakes and scorpions are associated with the power of the enemy? Okay, that's a good connection to make right there. I know some of you in Arizona have had scorpions in your house. That's the devil coming in. You're not like, burn that house to the ground and move. (laughs) But snakes and scorpions are associated with the enemy. And Jesus says, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. All right, you're tracking with me. You're tracking. Go to the next chapter, Luke chapter 11. Jesus speaking, which of you fathers... If your son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. Or if he asks you for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Daddy, I'm hungry. Can I have some eggs? Yeah, here's a scorpion. Ha! Like, like no, you're not going to do that because you're a loving father. If you then, though you are evil, you have sin in your heart, and we all do, know how to give good gifts to your children. Watch this. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Specifically talking about asking for the Holy Spirit. So when you open your heart up to God, you're like, God, I want more of the Holy Spirit in my life. God, your Father in heaven who loves you is not gonna give you a counterfeit spirit. He's not gonna give you a demonic spirit. He's gonna give you the Holy Spirit. So we know all Christians who receive Jesus receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But what we've talked about in this series is how there's a a separate experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think that's something that we all need. We all need more love, more power, more righteousness that comes from the Holy Spirit alone. It doesn't mean you have to be weird or crazy. But man, I don't know a lot of Christians who don't need more of God's power in their lives. I'm just encouraging you. What if you just open yourself up to the Holy Spirit and trusted God, your Father in heaven, to give you good gifts the way that he promised. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, we as your people, we need more of your presence in our lives today as much as we ever have. And we wanna say, God, give us every good gift. Whether or not we understand it completely, it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is that it comes from you. You are good. You love us as your children, and you only want to bless us with good gifts. It started by faith when we trusted Jesus to save us from sin. You adopted us into your family, not because we did good or because we understood perfectly, but because we trusted you to save us. And God, today, we want more of your spirit in our lives. And we haven't earned it. 
We don't deserve it, but we just trust you that you're going to equip us with the power we need to be your witnesses, to live for you, and to lead other people into relationship with Jesus. So God, I pray for this church that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would pour your spirit out on us, Jesus, today. God, that we would be a light in the darkness in Arizona and in the United States and around the world, that people would know Jesus Christ, the only name that saves through our witness and through our testimony. God, go before us and be glorified in everything that we do. We give you worship today. We honor you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.